My name is Matthew. It's very good to see you here. Um, as Ire was saying, today is the first week in our Big Questions series. Uh, what we're really trying to do is address together some of the very common questions that people might ask Jesus if they have the chance um, to look into what his response might be to our big questions. Um, because uh, we here in this church uh, understand that God makes himself known, uh, let's ask for God's help uh, together in prayer to understand what he's saying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that we can meet together this morning uh, to hear your word read, uh, to think together about your responses to some of the big questions that we have. Father, we ask that as we think together about um, the place uh, and the future of a an experience of suffering and evil in our life and in our lives. Uh, please give us insight and wisdom to understand what you say so that we might know your good purposes in all things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if God is good, why is there evil and suffering in our world? It's a very good question, isn't it? If God is good, why is there evil and suffering in our world? I mean, if God really cares, why does he let it continue? Now, this, this is a good question. In fact, when we were doing the survey um, in the local area and we were asking our friends and perhaps even asking you what your big question is that you'd like to ask Jesus, uh, this was easily the big question. Uh, this is a question that nearly everybody said, yes, I would like to ask Jesus that question. Um, I think is an excellent question. I think there's a number of reasons why it is a very good question. Um, so, first of all, let's think together about why this question is such a good question. Now, firstly, it's because of the truth that this question assumes. Uh, and secondly, it's a good question because of the experience that it affirms from our lives. Uh, let's begin with the assumptions that this question makes uh, there are three assumptions that a person who asks this question uh, that they make, as far as I can see. The first is that pain is something that we would rather live without. Uh, we don't like to be in pain. Pain hurts. Uh, pain harms people. It unsettles us. It stands, in fact, opposed to all the hopes that we might have for life. Human suffering is something that we would rather live without. Uh, that seems to be the first assumption that this question makes, and I think that it is a good one. Uh, there is a second assumption that this question makes, uh, and I also think it is another good one, because we assume that God has the power to do something about it. Uh, we wouldn't ask that question, would we, of God, if we thought that he didn't have the power or that he didn't exist. Uh, so when we say... How can God let pain and suffering continue? We're assuming that there is another option that we could be experiencing. We're assuming that somehow good God could prevent it or end it in some way. We're assuming that God is sufficiently in charge of what happens in this world so that this question makes sense. Because this question would be completely illogical, wouldn't it? If God was just grandpa in the sky who was powerless. 
If God isn't in control of the world, then it makes no sense to ask him why he is doing something about or why he isn't doing something about the way the world works. And so I want to say that this second assumption is a good one. From the beginning to end, the Bible assures us that God is powerful, that he is in charge of the world, that he didn't just create it and leave it to be. God is involved, the Bible says, day in and day out in the lives of people and nations. He is strong enough to resist the most powerful human force. Uh, it's not beyond God to end human pain. That's the second assumption. Uh, the third assumption in this question is that God cares about the pain we feel. And again, without this assumption, the question would not really be worth asking, would it? If God was powerful and he was able to change the course of human lives, but he really didn't care about you and me, then we could have no expectation that it would be even worth asking this question. But the sense we have is that God is there, that he should do something about it, and it arrives out, arises out of this third assumption, that God is not only powerful, but that he is loving and he cares about you and me. And so once again, I want to say that this third assumption is a good one. The Bible does tell us that God loves every person he's made. He's not a cruel dictator, just flexing his muscles up in heaven, saying, look what I can do in your life, but I don't care about you. He does care. He does care. He does see the suffering and the pain that you experience from day to day. He does feel for those who suffers. And the Bible wants to say that is clear in its pages about God too. So in these three ways, uh, we start off this morning, this morning by saying this question is a good one. I'm really glad you asked it. Uh, and it rests upon a number of important and good assumptions, doesn't it? Uh, but second, I think this is an excellent question because of the experience that it acknowledges in our own lives. The strength of this question isn't the fact that it's logical or that intelligent people ask it. The strength of this question doesn't lie in the fact that it's got some good assumptions in it. This question is an excellent question because it is profoundly personal. It has a deep emotional power because it resonates with our hearts and our lives Precisely because we've asked this question at some point in our lives, haven't we? And most of us have asked this question not because we're curious and we want to just find out the answer, but because serious grief, unfortunate events, accidents, just the way things seem to be since birth, each of these searing Moments in our lives arise because you and I don't want pain in our lives, but we have experienced it. For example, this is some of the ways this question was phrased in the survey that we took this year. Why does God not intervene in the death of young children who have not yet had the chance to experience life? How do I live in a loveless marriage? If God is in control, why does his plan seem so bad? 
These are some of the personal questions that people have asked in the last couple of months. And all of those questions are essentially asking the same thing, aren't they? If God is good and he's powerful, why does he let my pain keep going? It's a compelling question. As I thought about uh, some of the conversations that I've had this year, I've spoken with people who are battling with chronic illness. I've spent time talking with people who are sick and the doctors don't know why. I've talked with someone who had an incurable disease. I've talked with someone who's been sexually abused. And I've talked with others who've had family members die unexpectedly. These are just some of the conversations that I've had with people. The world is full of suffering and it touches us personally. It is a good question. And how might Jesus respond as we put this question to him? Well, the best way for us to know that is to turn to the Bible and see what God has said. The very words of God's son Jesus are recorded for us and his actions are there for us to see. Because in the pages of the Bible, we find lots of things that help us towards an understanding of God's relationship with our pain. Now, this is a massive topic. There are lots of parts of the Bible that speak into our pain and help us gain an understanding in this. But what I want to do is just look at a couple of the most relevant parts with you. So... The first thing that I think we should do is admit that according to the Bible, God has a deep, even an unusual relationship with human pain. It's not possible to be simplistic about it because there are a few dimensions that need to be considered. And I think we should be honest right at the outset from that. I can't offer you the answer that seals off every part of your questions. God's relationship with human pain has depth to it. And I'm hoping we'll be able to see the beginning of why it is such a good question and why it has such a good answer. So let's consider two things together. First, we can agree as we read the Bible that God says pain is terrible. It's not as though God hears people ask this question and he wonders what is all the fuss about? It's not as though he thinks that suffering is fantastic. God is not indifferent to our pain. Uh, So, for example, the Bible tells us that God rescued his people, Israel, out of slavery in the great events of the Exodus when he brought them out of Egypt. Why? Because he saw their misery and he heard their cries and he cared about their suffering. And for the same reason, throughout Israel's history, the Bible tells us that God acted time and time again to rescue his people from the pain and the suffering that they had. God moves to relieve people's suffering. And this is one of the key things that we learn about Jesus. At every turn, Jesus is moved by the compassion for the people around him. In that second part of the Bible that Barry read for us, did you hear that Jesus was walking down the road and he saw this funeral happening? A widow, her only son dead in the coffin. And Jesus is moved and he takes action in response to that. The sick and the dying, the social outcasts, the confused, 
the sinful, Jesus finds it in him to help all of them. It's though he can't help but do something about it. He looks to relieve human pain at every turn. And I think one of the other ways the Bible affirms that suffering is really terrible is by telling us so many stories of human grief and pain. Intriguingly, the Bible makes a lot of room for these stories. And it makes a lot of room for human sorrow as well. Psalm 88, that first part of the Bible that Barry read, that is one person's cry to God in the midst of his pain. The Bible recognises that suffering is terrible. It's one of the things that I think is a standout feature in the Bible. For example, all of the book of Job, all 42 chapters, are given to one man's wrestle with God in his pain. In the book of Lamentation and in so many of the Psalms, we're given such an eloquent insight into people's expression of their suffering and their questions and their wrestle with God. In many of the prayers of the Bible, we are allowed to hear people's words about suffering and pain and their longing to see pain end. And the Bible describes the world as a place of brokenness and groaning. Uh, If you look at the screen, you'll see Romans chapter 8. This is a letter that a man called Paul wrote uh, to Christians who lived in Rome 2,000 years ago. And it says this in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Right there is a powerful image. The Bible is saying that the whole world, in fact the whole universe, is caught up in this big issue. Human beings suffering and groaning. The world itself groans and longs for God to come and put things right. And in a couple of verses time after this, what we see is that even God's spirit joins with us when we look to God God's Spirit carries our prayers of longing to the throne room of God. And he describes one of the most intense issues that we face in life with one of the most powerful moments in human life when he compares it with childbirth. If you've experienced childbirth or you've been there or heard stories, you'll know that at the moment of childbirth, what's happening is that we're hoping for something joyful to come But right now, it is agony. And this is how the Bible describes this world. In these ways, and in so many more ways, God affirms that human pain is indeed terrible. But this is not all the Bible has to say. The God who agrees suffering is terrible also works to relieve it as he works and uses even our enemy pain and suffering for his own purposes. That's why a few minutes ago I said that God's relationship with pain is actually unusual. It's complex. It's multifaceted. We should be honest that there's more than one dimension to God's dealing with pain. You see, God is more than that distant grandfather in the sky. You can sum up yourself, perhaps, in one or two sentences. But can we do that with God? 
I mean, we know even when we try to sum ourselves up with one or two sentences, that's not sufficient, is it? Uh, This week, I took two online personality questionnaires. Uh, One of them needed a little under 2,000 words uh, to tell me what I am like. Uh, The other took slightly over 4,000 words to tell me what I'm like. And then it offered me the chance to buy uh, a 200-page book to give unique insights into my personality type. Now, I was alluding to Belinda that I had done this in my conversation this week, and she asked, what is your personality type? And I enigmatically said, oh, I don't know. But now the truth is here. I am a complex person. It takes around 3,000 words on average to even start to capture something about me from the 200 questions I answered. But we get it, don't we? We're complex people. And it's like that with God, isn't it? He can't be summed up in a few sentences. He can't be wiped away while saying, well, if he's good and powerful, why does he let suffering be in the world? God is complex, uh, but complex in the sense that there is good depth to him. There is perfection to his character. We learn from the Bible that he is many things. He is good and powerful, but he's also holy and without sin which assures us that everything he does is good. He's protective and he's patient and he's wise and merciful. He's all-knowing and sovereign. And so, at the same time, the God who says pain is terrible says that he is also able to act to relieve pain and use it for his own good purposes This is Jesus' very personal experience with pain. We learned from the very beginning of the Bible, where at the outset of human history, people have ignored God's good words to us. And as we strike out in our own direction, completely pushing him to one side, or just ignoring him, or perhaps saying, well, we'll just put a few little warnings and labels on this, but we'll do it my way. The Bible says that we're not actually honouring God as we were created to do. And the Bible calls this sin. And the results are catastrophic. Our relationship with God is now broken. Our relationship with each other is now torn apart. And our experience in this world is far from what God said it would be. And to this, God responds to human sins in a deep and profound way. You see, the Bible records for us lots of events where God... turns human pain to a righteous end. It tells us about how God uses human suffering to bring beauty out of ugliness and joy out of sorrow and hope out of despair. And the story that displays this most profoundly is in his own son's experience of pain. Now more of that in a moment, but for now, it's very important that we grasp that the Bible says uh, that God is able to use our experience, even our painful experiences, for his, sometimes very surprising to our ears, but good purposes. Uh, You see, if you are anything like me, uh, then we have a very simple view of pain and suffering, don't we? Uh, with very few exceptions. We hate all the pain that we see and we want to get rid of it as quickly as we can. That's our own view of suffering and I think that it makes perfect sense. 
because we can't control it. Uh, We can't control its outcomes. But God is very different to you and me. The Bible says that he can control suffering and its outcomes. And so his relationship with pain is deeper than we might first think. He sees that perspective that we have, that desire to get rid of it all, and he affirms that. But then he adds more to it when he says, that's not where it ends when I deal with pain. God has unique powers to accomplish good things. For example, through difficult times and suffering and pain, God is able to grow relationships between people. To humble people, to teach people things about themselves, to help people have more empathy, to create endurance that inspires other people, to mature people, to to move people to reach out for God, to deepen people's sense of reliance on God and to mature people for the life to come. The Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to Christians in a city called Corinth. And in this letter, he writes these words. He speaks to them about the God who comforts his people in their troubles, so that they, in their turn, can comfort others in their troubles with the comfort that they have received from God. Paul then goes on to talk about his own painful experience in this way when he says, Indeed, in our hearts we have felt the sentence of death. And now listen to how he understands his experience of pain in the purposes of God. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. This is just one of the places in the Bible where we're invited to see how God uses our pain to accomplish good things. And this is possibly, uh, this is possible because one of the Bible's core convictions is that God uses human pain in pursuit of a very, very good end. Now, parents understand this in small part, don't they? I. For every child, there comes a point when discipline needs to be lovingly applied in order to help the child come to a bigger or more rounded or deeper perspective on life. Yes, it may not be very pleasant for the child at the time, but done well, done with good motive and wisdom, we know that parental discipline is an act of love that's aimed at a greater long-term good than that one moment. And that's perhaps as close as we'll come to a pithy answer today. God is able to accomplish things more important than the temporary relief of pain. This is probably the most radical thought that this talk contains because when you grasp it, it is going to begin to revolutionise your view of pain and our relationship towards it. Our first instinct, as I said, when we experience pain... It's to assume that nothing is more important at this precise moment than getting rid of it and being relieved. We talk to our friends and family like that, don't we? We can even pray that way. We want 
more than anything else for pain to end. And I'm not belittling that. That is exactly how I have felt time and time again. But do you know what this is saying? This is saying not only is God willing and able to end our pain, and he knows that it is terrible, but as we head to that moment when it will completely be finished, he is going to use it for his good purposes. It's these moments of realisation that are like little windows into God's multidimensional view of suffering. They're the rare moments when we can perhaps see how God may have used our pain to produce in us something deep, something significant, something that can be used by us in our relationships with others. Now I'll be the first to admit uh, that these insights don't come quickly or easily to me. They almost always arise with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, Very, very rarely have I ever seen in the moments of my pain the good in the middle of it and the purposes. But there are times with hindsight when I've been able to see a little glimpse of how God is able to work out his good purposes. I've never had a complete answer for why I've suffered in the way that I have in life or for the pains that I've had. And God doesn't promise a full explanation. His view, his vision is for the end when it all goes away. But in the meantime... He asks you and me to trust his promises. And it's this biblical idea that God is purposeful with human suffering that makes the question of whether God is trustworthy all the more important. And at this, we'll turn and we think more about Jesus' relationship with pain Because if what God says to us is that he allows pain to continue because he has a good reason, then that does require a lot of trust, doesn't it? And we want to see that God is trustworthy. And this is where, for Christians, the love of God demonstrated in his own son, Jesus, and the pain that he experiences becomes so important. Because in that moment of searing pain that Jesus faced 2,000 years ago, Christians have seen the love of God like you will see it nowhere else. And they learn to trust him because of what he's done and said. Because in Jesus we see that God acts to end pain forever. So let me try and summarise where we're up to so far. God has a surprising relationship with human pain. In the first place, he affirms that it is terrible And yet there are times when we see that he is able to work through human pain for his own good purposes. And it's this last idea that I want to now take a little bit further with you because at the heart of the Bible story is God's decisive action to solve the problem of human pain once and for all. Because in all the ways the Bible says to us, yes, human suffering is terrible, this is the greatest. Because in Jesus Christ he acts to end it forever. And he does so by entering into it personally in a way that is deeper and further than we could possibly imagine. Now if we just pause for a moment and ask this question, what do we know about Jesus? We know that he was born in a stable behind an inn. We know that his parents 
weren't very wealthy. We know that the king of the day wanted to see Jesus dead. In fact, he was out to kill him before he could even walk. We know that as an adult, Jesus got his hands dirty with a full breadth of human tragedies. We know that he himself was persecuted and hated and pursued. We know that he wept when his friend died. We know that when the time came for his own death, he felt the greatest distress when he contemplated what was coming. And and we know that when he was arrested unjustly, He was spat upon, falsely accused, beaten and mocked and humiliated and then brutally killed, even though he was totally innocent. The Bible calls Jesus a man of suffering and a man of sorrows because he knows our grief firsthand. Indeed, he knows it in a depth that perhaps none of us never will. And what this means is that when it comes to suffering, Jesus gets it. And that, to my mind, is the incredibly profound thing, that God would choose to end human suffering by entering into it and taking the full burden of it onto his own shoulders. He came into our broken world, experienced its brokenness to the full, and then God rises him from the dead. All so that when we are in our pain we can turn to him and know that he really understands and can rescue us. Remember, Jesus didn't enter into our pain in order to be able to empathise with us. It was so that he might physically rise from the dead, showing that he has conquered death and all sin and suffering. Jesus entered our broken world in order to bring an end to the brokenness. That's the great paradox of Jesus' story. It's through his pain that the power of pain is broken. And by entering into human groaning, human groaning is ended. Because suffering, it's always been the older, younger brother of sin. And once sin's grip on the world is broken, then pain's grasp is broken too. That's why Romans 8 speaks about childbirth. In a world of groaning, it might feel like agony at times now, but after the agony is joy and life. That's why the Bible finishes with a description of what life will be like in what it calls the new heavens and the new earth. When the world as we know it is finally brought to an end and the only kingdom that exists is God's kingdom. Uh, Let me read to you some of the most beautiful words at the end of the Bible. It'll be on the screen. Uh, It's from Revelation chapter 21, uh, verses 3 and 4. And there it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That is the day that Christians are waiting for. That's God's promise, that one day all those who belong to Christ, for them pain will be done away. It'll be no more. I know this is incredibly hard for you and I to imagine. It's just so different from what life is like now. 
but it is unspeakably wonderful, isn't it? And all those, those who take God's invitation to heart have this hope. It's the certainty that we have through trusting Christ. And that's the invitation. Trust Jesus' promise. And this will be your future. Now, if you're listening to this talk today and you're already someone who trusts Jesus and follows him as Lord, then these verses that I've read to you, that's your hope. That's your future. It's wonderful, isn't it? But if you are listening this morning and you're not sure whether you belong to Jesus, or if you know for a fact that you've not yet put your trust in Jesus, then what we're talking about might sound a little strange to you, but I hope what you hear is God's invitation to you. This invitation to see what God has done by sending his son into the earth. Jesus, who ends all pain and suffering. And if you put your trust in him, then these promises will be yours. The promise of a painless eternity. And I think when we put our trust in Jesus, what it means is it changes our relationship to pain as well. That's what happened in my life, and that's what happened in the life of many of whom are here this morning. Uh, So let's conclude on this note. On On the note of change that hope can bring to people's lives. As we trust in Jesus, we can now have the freedom to hope that pain will end. In Jesus Christ, we don't live with the conclusion that pain will always be our companion. We know that there's a day coming when we are liberated from it, finally and perfectly and permanently. And the hope of this fills our days, even our worst days, with hope. Because by trusting Jesus, we carry around in our hearts that a truth is that there is coming a day when all pain will cease. One day God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death and no more mourning or crying or pain. This is the promise for everyone who trusts in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, acknowledging that as we uh, experience pain and suffering in our own lives, uh, it is a wrestle for us. We desire for it to be gone now. Uh, But Father, thank you for showing us that not only uh, do you say and see and feel that pain is terrible uh, and that you will bring it to an end, but Father, we also recognise that you are able to use human pain for your good purposes, uh, to bring about greater depth and insight in ourselves at times, but most significantly, Through the pain of your son and his death and resurrection, you are able to say that pain will be done away with and never experienced again when he returns. Father, we ask that we might have uh, the gift of faith from you to trust your promises today and evermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.